Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Matt Penny is in the building. We're going to talk about some NBA draft stuff and a little bit about how this draft is kind of a shit show for a number of reasons, as well as uh, just kind of jump through a, a little bit of what we've seen over the course of the last month. It's been kind of a kind of a slow month, right, Penny? Yes, but still a, a potpourri of topics that we can dive into that hopefully people will really latch onto and get excited about because there's still the draft coming up in, in a shorter time frame window than we had last year. Uh, we're getting more clarity on guys. I think we'd say, I mean, we did the, the mock draft pod, which se- seemed like forever ago. And I think those right. rankings are kind of like upside down a little bit as, as you alluded to as well. Yeah. So. And full transparency here, like typically over the course of a three week period, I'd probably watch, I don't know, 60 games, you know, 70 games, something like that. I've been on vacation, uh, since mid December, uh, from work. So I've like really downturned, uh, and like, you know, kind of, kind of put it in neutral for a little while here. So I've watched probably 20 to 25 games over the course of the last three weeks. And I've like picked and chose the right games to watch for sure, uh, to see where I have to be in terms of being able to continue to have conversations with NBA scouts and to continue to do my job effectively whenever I get back. But, you know, this year is just very funky in addition to all of the like issues that COVID has presented. Uh, it, the big one is scheduling because we haven't really seen a ton of showcase matchups yet where we've gotten great prospect against great prospect. Or when we have, it's been situations like Duke, Michigan State where both of those teams look like they're kind of a mess right now, if we're going to be honest about it. Um, we've gotten a lot of showcase games with Kentucky, and Kentucky is kind of a mess right now. So it's hard to evaluate a lot of these players within the construct of where they are right now. So I'm excited to jump back in here starting on January 4th, I think it is, is my first day back, maybe January 3rd. And like... Just see what what's out there and like what I can even find because it, it just feels like there hasn't been a lot of even really great evaluation settings since you know tournaments like Maui and uh, these sh- like little showcase games that happen throughout the course of the season. The scheduling thing's funny because when you talk to college coaches, so many of them treat it like an art form under normal circumstances and who can we play and where and what's the RPI and what will this, and now it's, it, it's become to steal the term that's overused now, speed dating. Like you can play this date. Good. We're doing it. Whatever. Like yep. there's teams, UMKC played two games in the same day against the same team. Like yep. there's teams picking up stuff to, to play NAA, NAIA guys like kind of on the fly. So you're getting a conference play and you're still now you're seeing a little bit and stuff's come out today. There's a couple of programs coming back from the holidays that are now shutting it down for a week or two because of COVID, which adds to kind of what you're saying. Like there hasn't been these elite matchups and it, it seems like a game's going to happen and it gets postponed. 
I'm already looking ahead a little bit too far to Saturday. You have Texas, Kansas, you have Iowa Rutgers, even though Ron Harper Jr. may be hurt, LSU, Florida. So like the games are coming and I think they'll come more so in conference play. But every time you have something circled on your calendar is like the big evaluation game, there's a, a wrench thrown into it. Yeah, no question. I mean, you mentioned, uh, like D2 teams and NAIA teams. Uh, there's a school called Carver College that, as of December 21st, had played 13 Division One opponents. <laughs> like they, had, they, they have secured the bag. Yeah, I know it's smart. Like I, I, I do it too. I mean, guys are playing all over the place too. If you really dig into it, there's teams playing in like non-college gyms. They're college regulation floors, but like one camera, three rows of stands. It, it's I don't want to say survival of the fittest, but it's it's people trying to like get enough games going into conference tournament and really get your guys to get their legs under them for lack of a better term too because there was a very limited preseason some guys end up getting shut down there's very few if any cupcake type exhibition games so if if you're Carver college and you have some free dates come on down yeah and you know we should transition this into talking about how are we going about evaluating these freshmen and how are we going about evaluating some of these teams even with older players that are struggling and may have been shut down due to COVID at a certain point or uh, have gotten reduced practice time? Like, I just don't know how to put that into context in comparison to past drafts. And I don't know even how to put situational, you know, situation the player is in at DePaul, for instance, where Romeo Weems has just flat out not played yet versus no, they, they, they played once. He played well, but it's like, okay, it's one game. He, I think he had like 21 and eight, but yeah, like he hasn't had a resume that he can even submit to anybody and saying, this is my, my work for the year. I mean, he's had a game, one game. Right. And obviously due to the incredibly tragic situation that happened with Keontae Johnson, like Trey Mann has not played a lot yet. Like we've seen, I think three games from Trey Mann and it's, not really possible for him to put together a uh, CV that says, like, this is why you should take me in the first round. And it's led to just an incredibly jumbled. And I, I was talking to someone earlier today. I feel like it was this is the most uncertain that I can remember a draft class entering the calendar year of the draft. Like, I can't remember one where it was just so across the board difficult to put a, uh, a number, a, a draft range on a player. Like, you could tell me Kessler Edwards' draft range is anywhere from number 20 on down to number 80. And I would be like, okay, sure. Sounds great. And this comes from someone who talks to NBA evaluators regularly. Like I talk to the people that will be making these choices and it's just like, we're, we're all kind of in the dark right now because of the situation that the season has thrust us into. You'd say more difficult this year than last season, just based on the, the prospects. I mean, last year we kind of entered it into let's get ready for next year's draft. And people kind of wrote off the the previous class, the class that was just drafted. And, and I think if you I, – I don't know who you had in your top five last year around this time, but I'm sure that was all 
shaken up pretty good too. I mean, I, I think Cole Anthony was probably up there. Tyrese Max was up there. Like things definitely change. And I understand the, the need to do mock drafts. I like doing mock drafts, kind of projecting where guys are, but so much shifts and there's, there's like fan bases and, and people who get so worked up over a guy is ranked third or 30th. But to, to everything you're saying about like Kessler Edwards, there just hasn't been enough. Like there was, <laughs> I have Google alerts set up from, when I was in school to make sure, like, you know, I didn't do anything stupid and here's Matt Penny's name being an idiot. So it, it popped up on some blog was mad that that we didn't have Jaden Springer in the top 30. Jaden Springer played nine minutes, like, the day before we recorded that. Like, yeah. we didn't have – and it's like we still don't have really a read on him. Like, they've played – I watched him play South Carolina Upstate, I think, the other day. I'm like, he was good. He was fine. He had 11 points. You know, they won by 100. Like, it, it's hard to – it's hard to really – Use that as a barometer. Now they play, uh, I don't know when this is going to post, but they play Missouri, I believe, at nine o'clock Eastern tonight. Yeah. That's a good game. Like that'll, that'll be a, a good litmus test for him and Keon Johnson. But yeah, the, the Kentucky guys, same thing. It's just, it, things have changed. They're moving so quickly, but at the same time, not a ton has changed if that makes any sense at all. Yeah. It's, things, are, things are being revealed, but like at a different pace. Yeah, the, the Jaden Springer thing is hilarious. Like, if people are pissed at us for that, because like, like you said, he played nine minutes in one game against Colorado. Yeah, like, I like him. Like, I wasn't hating. Like, it just, you hadn't seen him. The next, he's played one game that is really even remotely applicable to a like NBA evaluation and it's Cincinnati, right? Like Cincinnati right. has good wings. Like they have Keith Williams. Like they have Keith guys. Right, yeah. yeah. Like they can actually do some things to slow down Tennessee athletically. He went three of eight. He had got to the line quite a few times. He had 11 points. He had four rebounds. Like he was good in that game. Like he was eminently solid in that game. And he's been like fine. He had a breakout game against what was it? Like Tennessee Tech? Like one of those teams, right? Uh, yeah, that was his first his first good game. Yeah, we, yeah. we talked about the like the Texas guys. Like I I showed my love for Kai Jones, and then a week later, Greg Brown's like, "Oh, I can do this." So like he had this monster game against Oklahoma State, and now he's back in the conversation. So I don't think it's like a you were wrong. It's like you didn't necessarily see enough of how it transitioned from high school into college into yeah, actually no on the court and working. No question. So it's very strange to me that that's where we're at. So last year, I published a mock draft on January 10th. I had Anthony Edwards, James Wiseman, LaMelo Ball in the top three. I did have Cole Anthony at four. He went 15. I had Jaden McDaniels at five. He went 27, 28, something like that. I had Denny at six. He went nine. I had Tyrese Halliburton. He went in the lottery. Tyrese Maxey went in the top 21. RJ Hampton went in the top I'm not 25. throwing arrows at you. I'm just saying. It no, 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 changes, no. Like, that's all. Yeah. No, and I, I know. Pull, and up I, your, pull up your sources and be like, hey. This no, is and, and I'm not taking shots at you. I'm just saying like, you know, Obi Toppin, lottery pick. I had him at 10. Precious yep. Achua, you know, goes number 20. I had him at 11. Um, Like Nico Mannion goes late. And Yaka Kongu I had in the lottery. Isaac Okoro I had in the lottery. Killian Hayes I had at 15. He goes number seven. Uh, I had Isaiah Stewart at 16. He went 16. Like there is... A lot like last year, we had a good feel for where things were going, right? Uh, the only guys that I had in the top 20 who didn't go in the first round were Nico Mannion and Teo Maladon. Teo Maladon went what 34, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, right, yeah. and then Nico just 
was one of those guys who never really figured it out at the college sure. level. Um, it's, it's a tricky year. Like this year, I don't have nearly that certainty on the top 20. Like, I, I don't even have anything close to it. Like we did that mock draft and I, like, I, I feel okay. Like you could tell me Corey Kispert goes anywhere from like number nine to number 25 right now. Oh yeah. Ride the train. Yeah. No, I, we were texting about it yesterday. One through six, probably feel pretty good. Might get a, a couple guys wrong the order, but I'm fairly confident that like one through five, six, like we could do the names now from probably. But by the way, like that's even lower than I would go. Cause if you told me Jonathan Kaminga is just like not great with the ignite, I would not be totally stunned by that. He's pretty good. He's really good stuff. He's pretty good. Yeah. Like, and if you told me he rises to go number one, I don't think I, I don't know. He's one, but, but he's like, he's there. He's five or six. But my point is like five, five to six to one. Great. Right. Probably like 16 to 17 to end of the first. Fine. There's been no separators in that from seven to like the end of the lottery for me personally. And I don't know if you feel that way too, but I'm, I'm watching Gonzaga the other day against Virginia and Corey Kispert puts on a show, and it's not just like catch and shoot in the corner. It's the movement stuff. Jalen yeah. Suggs drives and kicks it back. He hits one like deep beyond NBA three. And it's like, okay, well, that translates right here, right now. The rest of the guys that like we don't know who will be seven to 14, like I don't know if there's translatable stuff right away where you can put him on an NBA court and he's going to have seven, eight points pretty easily. Right. Like I think that what that does is, by the way, like you're saying like the seven to 14 range, like, I don't know who is in that seven to 14 range. Like, yeah, I, right. I just don't, That's what I, I'm saying. Yeah. like I, it really now blends. It's now not the seven to 14 range. It's the seven to 35 range. Right. Well, yeah. That's, that's, that's scary. <laughs> and I, I thought the last draft got a lot of, of bad press up top and I get it, but like, I really like the depth of that draft, like yeah, late lottery too. to the forties. I really liked and. Yeah, shameless plug. I I didn't think it was necessarily going to work right away, but like Peyton Pritchard goes twenty six, and he's one of the better rookies. Like there's value there late. Right now, I I just don't know who those guys necessarily are for for this coming class. You could tell me Marcus Bagley goes number eight, or you could tell me he is a sophomore at Arizona State next year. Yeah, I mean he's been hurt. <laughs> uh, he's got, he's strained his calf. I, I believe, yeah, so he like hasn't really played. I mean he showed good stretches when he did play but again there's it's not a it's not a full body work i mean it's the same with with jalen johnson so jalen johnson has this great game against coppin state he plays one more i draft him like sixth or something he has not a great game against michigan state not a great game against illinois i don't know if he played another one but shuts it down with an injury it's like are we gonna see jalen johnson again or is this gonna kind of be like the anti-cole anthony where cole Got hurt, came back, received some criticism for if he's just going to shut it down. I'll give him credit. He toughed it through it. Probably cost himself a little bit of money. Probably dropped a few draft spots. Is any of that go into the the Jalen Johnson thing? I don't know, but I'm using this more as a framework of I don't know how much we see him again. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Like, and this is a good point to transition to the Kentucky guys and like what's going on at Kentucky right now. Um, BJ Boston, Terrence Clark, and Isaiah Jackson. All three of them, I think, have like a pretty real chance to go in the first round next year. <laughs> I don't know where to rank them right now. <laughs> yeah, I was um, gonna say which year. Yeah, right. 
I think I'm going to have BJ Boston outside of the top 20 right now. Mm, hot take. Like it. I like it. You got to shoot your shot. Yeah. I I hate it. Like I loved BJ Boston in high school. I thought he was awesome. And look, I still think he's pretty good to be honest. Like I think that this situation at Kentucky is really bad. It's particularly a bad situation for him because it's a team with absolutely no shooting, absolutely no spacing. Um, a team that seems to not really have much confidence right now, if we're going to be frank about it, right? Like they look like, a one in six team that has never been one in six in school history, right? Um, BJ Boston is shooting 36% from the field right now and 15% from three. Uh, those numbers yeah, which, are, which, which is a bump. Like I, I have my notes here. He's shooting 32% from the field in the month of December and 21%, five for 24 from three. Yeah. And you look at like the games that he's played 27% from the field against you or against Louisville. 0% from three, 35% against UNC, 0% from three against Kansas, 30.8% from the field, 0% from three. And he got into double figures in all those games, which is better than you can say for like Terrence Clark and Isaiah Jackson. And like, I don't think he, he he's been pretty close to a I don't want to say like disaster, but say it. Yeah. <laughs> I was waiting for us choking up on the, uh, the bat waiting for the, the rookie of the year pitch lob in there and crank it out of the park. I was well, waiting like, for you to say it because like being able to create those shots is a skill, right? But you have to be able to finish them. And on yeah, top right. of that, he doesn't bring anything else to the table right now. He doesn't, <laughs> no, doesn't pass. We said it doesn't pass in the front. Yeah. No, it's like overall. And he's like, he's abominably bad defensively. Like he's really, really bad. I'm waking you up now. Uh, as just like a broad stroke, just like something's amiss there. It's, it's turns Clark doesn't start that game because of a bad ankle, which miraculously heals by the under 16 timeout and he's on the court. Uh, Cameron (laughs) Fletcher has his break. Uh, we talked BJ Boston stuff. Davion Mintz has been better, which we predicted a month ago that he, he might be the guy as the spark plug, but it was telling to me that in that game against Louisville, there, it's a one possession game. It's end of the game. And the play call they run is a side pick and roll from Mintz and Olivier Saar, which ends up with him missing a mid-range jumper with six seconds to play. Like, that's their move. We have we have two guys we're talking about as lottery talents. We have another first-roundish guy in Isaiah Jackson. And, like, that's their that's their play, side pick and roll for Olivier Saar. So it's just like they're trying to figure out, and I, I just thought they'd be further along than they are right now. So they've played seven games. Uh, they've yeah. played just a ridiculous schedule too, by the way. Like they, they went for it <laughs> and Calipari has said to his credit that he should not have done this. Like it was a mistake to play this kind of schedule and to try and like, you know, do the trial by fire thing. Um, so far this season, their strength of schedule is 16th best in the country, despite the fact that they are one of the bottom 25 teams in the country in terms of experience played uh, in their minutes played, according to Ken Palm. So we're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic 
through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP hackers and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, for instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla minus one recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan and you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account. nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. How much of this is we need to be patient and these guys are going to figure it out because they didn't really have a great training camp. They didn't have a great, uh, they had a limited time in the preseason to get to know each other versus how much of this is they just aren't as good as we thought they were. Because I, I, I'm really struggling to like go back and forth between those two things. I'm going to go both. And in the spirit of, of New Year's, New Year's Eve, New Year's resolutions, some of like the framework of resolutions for this, this pod, my first was we won't rush to judgment on preseason rankings for players and teams. And this is my hope for next season because we're already here. So Sherelle McMillan from Inside Carolina had a tweet I saw that uh, Travis Brandon from 24 Sports retweeted. That's to the top three 2020 recruiting classes have a combined record of 9-11. So I dug deeper. That's Kentucky, North Carolina, and Duke. They're ranked 1-2-3 in recruiting classes. 18 total guys, 9 five-stars, 9 four-stars. So this is by no means for me as like a shot at the rankings community. But like you said, there's not a million other freshmen out there lighting the world on fire. Like more so for me, this yeah, is a byproduct no. of young, inexperienced guys that are, are learning as they go. And... I do give Calipari, Coach Calipari, credit for taking the blame for this perceived failure and for the schedule. But it, in like the life comes at you fast model, he somewhat did predict this earlier in the year. And I, I have the quotes and like I have to read them. So November 6th, 
This schedule will serve as a great test for our young team. We will have to learn to fail fast. Things will be a bit different in how we do things to stay safe, but we're going to make this as normal of an experience for our players and fans as we can, and I'm confident that we've put together a schedule that prepares to make a run at the end of the season. Like everyone else, I can't wait to return to competition. Fast forward button. December 26th. You have to play games you can win to build confidence. This was the stupidest schedule I've ever put together. I'd like to <laughs> smack myself in the mouth. Oh, I love Cal. I, I really it's do great. love Cal. No, I do He's too. the best. UMass guy. I have yeah. To. UMass guy. But, 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 but back to it. It's like, it's hard to balance egos and expectations and chemistry, even under winning and the best circumstances. You lose, you, you can, you can get the worst version of people and people who aren't committed to what they need to be doing. These kids have the added pressure of the NBA draft. You think you go to Kentucky, it's Camelot, it's it's one and done. They're not necessarily expecting these road bumps. And he's always said we're a no-excuse program, and, and they're getting tested on it right now. And I just also don't think it's always an easy fix. Like People like to make lately the Jamal Baker joke because he's at our at Arizona. He's shooting the ball very well. He was at Kentucky and transfer. It's like, well, I'd like to get a guy like that. He had a hard time staying on the floor defensively at Kentucky. And yeah. he only shot seven for 19 from three over 28 games. He's had more room to kind of like fail forward at Arizona. And he's taken twice as many threes in eight games this season. So it, it's also kind of like trial and error and how it kind of all pulls together. Well, and I think that where Kentucky fans get angry about that is that guys like Jamal Baker don't get it chance to do that and look it's a lot more competitive at kentucky right just in terms of roster spots like even at a place like arizona who again like blue blood i'm not shit talking the arizona program they're not bringing in a revolving door of one and dones last year was like a bit of an anomaly for them right and even with that anomaly jamal baker still played quite a bit of minutes right and the comparison that i think they're making to that or at least the one that i would make is what's happening to dante allen right now at kentucky right like dante allen is six foot six he's a seven foot wingspan and he can shoot the ball that like should be enough to get him on the court for this kentucky team right like right they have a top 20 defense in the country i don't think that dante allen is going to be so bad defensively that like he's going to like totally demolish them. Then again, though, like when they put Cameron Fletcher on the court, like Cameron Fletcher like breaks down constantly defensively and like causes them all sorts of issues. So maybe Dante Allen is that bad, but like I find that <laughs> I, f- I would find that hard to believe, I guess at the end of the day. Um, and I think that where Kentucky fans get a little bit frustrated is that they would like to see guys like Dante Allen get a better shot at proving that they can shoot over the long haul. And I think that's a reasonable gripe. Like I'm not, I'm not someone who shit talks Calipari. Like I, I actually have been very clear that I love the way that they develop players for the pros. I love the way I don't think that there's almost anywhere better that you can go to set yourself up for long-term success in the NBA if you're a prospect. But I think that this is one of the few things that when the haters talk about Calipari and talk about like 
he should do this instead of that, that I understand where they're coming from when they say that and actually somewhat agree with it when they say that. You're not a hater, but you did throw out the, the leather jacket tweet when he, he wore it post game in that Zoom. I, I thought it was a good look. I'm in <laughs> on the Calipari did, did you, did leather you jacket. The, did you watch the Louisville game or no? I watched like I'm not. I didn't watch the whole thing. I watched he, like he the last like, uh, twenty minutes. Yeah, he had like casual bar restaurant attire on, coaching too, like a button down. It's like I, I love it. He's going for it. Yeah. I, to me, like Kentucky's thing, it's not. It's hard to preach patience to rabid sports fans, fan bases especially in places like college where you've had success with one-and-done guys for so long. But it's like they need to get older. I mean, even like the world beater 38-2 and national championship team, they had Deron Lamb and Terrence Jones as sophomores and Darius Miller as a senior who's been through the ringer there. He knows the expectation of that program. Yes, it helps. They have a generational big like Anthony Davis roaming around there too. But like the, the makeup of 11 new guys, it's hard for, for anybody to balance. Yeah, the Harrison brothers were sophomores. Uh, Willie Cauley Stein was a junior. Alex Poitras, uh, was a junior on that 38 and one team, right? Like they had somewhat like real vets on that team. And look, like Carl Anthony Towns, Devin Booker, the guys that, uh, we now think back on with that team, uh, are very, very clearly elite and they were freshmen and they were only playing like 20 minutes a night and we look back and that looks somewhat staggering but i think it goes to show just how much value how much value having experience on the court at the college level uh how much that brings to the table so yeah, yeah like it, it's i just look i mean not down the street but you look in the big 10 at minnesota they're nine and one and they're three best players of transfers marcus Carr from pitt liam robbins from drake and both gotch from utah like experience definitely matters and and that yeah. plays into those guys being well and you look at kentucky and by the way know. their fourth starter brandon johnson is a grad transfer from western michigan Correct. another transfer transfer bingo yeah. i don't know with with so th- there's a one-time transfer rule that's expected to pass where it'll, it'll kind of be like college free agency i don't see whether it's by the draft transfer whatever i don't see all these 11 newcomers coming back to kentucky and who they have coming in, they have Damian Collins, power forward, even more like athletic version of Isaiah Jackson. Bryce Hopkins, another forward, one-time Louisville commit, can face up, score a little bit. And Nolan Hickman, who's lead guard from Washington, late bloomer riser, likely a multi-year guy. These are all top 30 guys. They're in a good spot with Jaden Hardy, who's a top five kid in the senior class, but he could go the G League route. So I just anticipate them treating lows and mids almost like this blue blood farm system to get old and stay old because that'll be an added boost into the makeup of their team i mean you look at ap top 25 right now gonzaga baylor kansas villanova houston they have like maybe one freshman each that has like significant minutes impact kentucky duke north carolina i mean they have three four five each like it's just it's hard to do and it's also so early in the year that like you got to figure it out right away yeah and you know maybe we should talk about uh duke and north carolina as well i was a little bit less high on these teams coming into the year than i was kentucky like i thought this kentucky team was going to be fucking awesome and they're just nowhere near that (laughs) not so awesome yeah yeah not so awesome um 
this Duke team, I was not quite as high on it. I just didn't really love the way the pieces kind of fit together. Uh, they certainly looked a bit better, I thought, in the Notre Dame game than yep. anything that I'd seen from them previously. And that's without Jalen Johnson. And wrapping your head around that and what that means is a little bit difficult because I think that Jalen Johnson's game is just like kind of tough to fit. Uh, he has to have the ball in his hands. Otherwise he's kind of a spacing mess and defensively he was kind of all over the place. Like he was going for steals. He was going for, uh, rebounds and kind of like leaving his area. Like it was, it's a weird situation for Duke right now. I think trying to figure out what works for them. Are they going to get Jalen Johnson back this year? Uh, when they do, how do they integrate him to be the most successful version of the team that they can, uh, can can Wendell Moore play basketball anymore? <laughs> I was like, going to say something better. Said basketball. Yeah, no, they they need like DJ Stewart's been better. Like he's averaging thirteen points per yeah. game, forty two percent from three. Like there was a time where it's like this kid is a top thirty guy, and I don't see it. And now he's been better. But they they and I love to, DJ Stewart too. By the way, yeah, I mean they. I correct me if I'm wrong. I think they have like seventy four assists to seventy two turnovers. Like that's got to be better. Like the yeah. point guard stuff has to improve. Matthew Hurt's been awesome, but you need another person or two. Yeah. Yeah. Matthew Hurt being good, like might be the thing that saves them. Uh, because Jeremy Roach and DJ Stewart, while Stewart is good, I don't think they're quite ready to handle like lead guard responsibilities. Uh, Wendell Moore, we just don't know what's going on there. Um, that I, did you like Wendell Moore coming out of high school? Like I actually really I, I, quite I liked, liked him. him. I didn't love him. Like I, I thought he was like, uh, it's, it's funny. Like when I ever say like, I don't like a guy, it doesn't mean that I think he like stinks. I mean, he's probably like top 50 rather than top 30. So he was somewhere right. in that like middle of the road range for me. Right. But like, there's no way that you thought he was not even going to be like replacement level, like rotation player at Duke. Oh, right? no, no question. Yeah. Correct. Uh, Jamin Brakefield is, by the way, pretty good. Like, I think he is legitimately a long-term NBA prospect. Six foot eight, lefty who can shoot. Like, that's valuable. He's been better than I thought. Yeah. Yeah. So, trying to figure out where Duke settles in is going to be interesting. They have a game on Saturday against Florida State that uh, I am so fascinated to watch because this Florida State team, uh, over the course of the last couple of weeks, has not been quite as good as what we thought they would be. Uh, Scotty Barnes is kind of all over the map offensively because he just can't really shoot and uh, teams don't really respect him as a scorer as opposed to his passing ability, which is very high level. So I- I'm still trying to figure out where this Florida State team settles in. I, I would imagine that they probably beat Duke, but... It's going to be a good test for Duke and some of these younger guys to see where they are. And I would love to see Jalen Johnson play, even though it seems somewhat unlikely that that will happen. Yeah, and that's the type of matchup that we're missing that you're talking about. Like, I'd love to see Saturday at 8 o'clock, Jalen Johnson, Scotty Barnes. It'd be amazing. But we, you know, we, we, yeah, we don't have it. We have some other good ones, but not that one. Yeah, and then going to North Carolina, right? Like, Caleb Love is just not a 2021 guy, it looks like. Like, we can just... Say that, you, you, right? You can declare that. Yeah, I mean, they like they don't have bad losses right now. Like, it's Texas at Iowa, NC State by three. Like, th- that's not a bad resume, but you're right. Like, Love's not totally ready yet. I mean, you, when we did the, the mock draft pod, 
you took him 30th. Like the last pick of the first round, great hedge, love it. He was four for 23 from three. This is on December 9th. And you're like, he's not shooting the ball well. It, lo- it looks to come off his hand. Totally agree. He's 0 for 11 since. He hasn't hit a three since the last pod. So it's yeah. like, it's not getting better there right now. Yeah. And, and negative assist rate to turnover rate this year. Like, no, not exactly a great finisher from inside the arc either, given that he's shooting 37% from three from, t- or from two point range. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, very bizarre. And then like Dayron Sharp, I think he actually looks much better than what I thought he would look. He's still like shooting 58% from two point range, which isn't quite good enough for the style of player that he is. Um, he is basically just a guy who finishes around the basket. He can do some interesting stuff handling the ball that I didn't really expect. He's a really good passer, which is something I also didn't really expect. Um, great offensive rebounder, good defensive rebounder, shot blocks, like does all of that stuff. I think he's actually really interesting. Um, he's still like not a top 30 guy for me, I don't think. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I don't know who is, but I'm intrigued more by North Carolina's backcourt than the frontcourt with Baycott, Sharp, Brooks, and even Kessler for some minutes here and there. And I think they're going to be fine because what they did against Kentucky was they just got guys in foul trouble and then just keep beating the post and shuffling those guys in and out. So, like, Walker Kessler is kind of interesting to me, to be honest. Uh, I thought he was really good in that NC State game in the minutes he played. He was ridiculous on defense in that game. Like, he was so good. And in the minutes he played in that, I want to say it was Stanford or Texas. I can't remember which one. Um, I really liked those minutes as well. Like, I thought he provided some skill with size as well as a willingness to embrace contact on the interior as a rim protector. Like, he's definitely a multi-year player. You might be able to convince me he's north carolina's best long-term prospect though yeah i'm not i'm not against that yeah that's the thing with carolina is i anticipate it's like the antithesis of kentucky i think most of these guys are gonna be back in school like maybe caleb love dips his toe he probably comes back sharp maybe he dips his toe he comes back they have a couple top 75 shooting guards coming in and demarco dunn dontra styles but they're gonna be older just by growing up and, and becoming sophomore so like that team i'm not worried about long term i don't think they necessarily have to dip as much in the transfer market as kentucky may have to well i'll, I'll be surprised if they were on sharps backs it seems like other evaluators are much higher on him than i am um by the way though they don't really need him back because they have kessler and baycott yeah, already. three other bigs yeah exactly so like they're fine and like garrison brooks still exists garrison brooks has not been very good this year he's 49 true shooting percentage and uh turning the ball over like crazy like it's been a struggle for him as much as it's been a struggle for everyone else at north carolina but we can trust that garrison brooks will probably figure it out at some point um just based off the track record that he showed last year i I guess that like at what point does our patience need to turn into okay this is just not going to happen this year like when, when does that happen for february you? 1st I, I don't know it, it, it's creeping up it's creeping up i mean now you're you're into conference play it it's probably just a few games away to be frank like 
I think a lot of these guys we've given benefit of the doubt because of the surrounding circumstances. But at some point, like you're either going to show what you can do or you don't. And it, even if it's just flashes for some guys, it has to be consistent flashes. It can't always be one game, then three off, then another game here and there. It has to be consistency. Yeah. Which so makes it hard to do mock drafts because <laughs> you yeah. don't know what you're getting. So Kentucky, for me, it's going to be three weeks. They have Mississippi State, who's not great. Vanderbilt, who's just not very good at all. Alabama, who's similarly like kind of young and like talented, but a little bit all over the map. They have more experience than Kentucky does, but like, you know, they have guys like Josh Primo and they have, you know, a transfer coming that, you know, didn't play for them last season, but was practicing with them in Javon Quinterly, right? Um, like they have, they have talent and they have some experience, but not quite as much as, uh, like a team that and they should be better than they are so far i think alabama's more talented than they've shown so far auburn auburn's been like kind of sneaky interesting have you watched them much i have i didn't know if we're gonna talk about justin powell later in the program so i have watched them well powell and flanagan are both pretty interesting uh mm-hmm. I, I kind of am sneaky intrigued by both uh I, I don't know that either of them necessarily are 2021 prospects but yeah Ju- justin powell he might be a 2021 guy. Like, I don't think he is, but he might be. Yeah, might be. I think I'd said all might be. 2022 makes more sense, but might be 21. Yeah. Um. What, what a find for them. Like, losing Sharif Cooper. Like, if they had Sharif Cooper, this team would be, like, awesome. He's still practicing, I think. I saw some video the other day of hitting some, like, three from, like, the logo. Yeah, I'm actually pretty intrigued by where they go long term. And then after Auburn, they have Georgia. That that gets you to January twentieth. Okay. If I, they're I not February one, January twenty is pretty good. So they they have this little break here for a week where they hopefully can get better. Then they have six games against teams that are not like crazy great, right? Like the schedule is not loaded in the way that it's been like there's no louisville north carolina kansas uh in that schedule so or like (laughs) richmond who's sneaks up on you right and and like richmond is just a very very difficult matchup for them early in the season because that team is just loaded with seniors so yeah and stylistically it's tough to scout for yeah yeah and i would say kentucky i'm given three weeks north carolina i'm probably given similarly three weeks to see where they stand after that. And then Duke, I, I don't really know what to do with Duke because I don't know what the Jalen Johnson situation is. Yeah. No, I, I tend to agree with that. It, it's, I wonder what like the coaching technique move is for those guys right now. Like for Kentucky, yeah. the move is probably you can't wear this Kentucky jersey in practice until you earn it back. But I don't know with like COVID stuff and <laughs> laundry and testing the move. Coach Four, when I was at UMass, did that once and he's like you can't wear umass stuff They're like all right we're, like we don't have anything else to wear how, how does that so go? go yeah well, yeah what do you want us to do here you gotta do your own laundry like all right like you need quarters like i can't do this oh my god the shoes i have the shoes you gave me like i can't not wear umass shoes but yeah okay so let's just finish on let's not talk about the g league ignite thing yet maybe we'll do that on the next podcast let's talk about some guys that have kind of snuck up and actually been positive performers so far this year to finish we'll do this for like 15 minutes but uh so yeah is there anyone that like has stood out positively to you like for me like cam thomas being as good as he's been in the midst of all of these freshmen struggling 
That says a lot. Like, look, they haven't played a loaded schedule, but he did just go out and drop 32 on Texas A&M last <laughs> night, right? Like, yeah. yes, yeah. His scoring ability translating as early as it has, I think, is very notable. And I think that it shows that he is a very legitimate uh, first round prospect. I had him somewhere in the mid second to start the year. I would have him pretty clearly in my top 30 right now. Yeah, I'm laughing because we, I give you crap all the time for kind of like stealing my lead. That was like the guy that I was like, I don't think he'll talk about Cam Thomas. Maybe I'll talk about him. I drafted him 27th on the mock draft pod. I agree because they did start off playing a softer non-conference schedule, but the scoring hasn't slowed down. He's averaging 24 points per game. Uh, he did rattle off 32 points in a 20-point win versus Texas A&M, where he was 12 for 21 from the field and 5 for 11 from three. He definitely looks different physically than high school if you just put their bodies next to each other. Confident, confident shooter scorer with a quick Well, he, he's he well over like 200 pounds now, it looks like. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he keeps really great balance on his shot and can stretch defenses like really out to NBA range. That's respect it. He does kind of like sort of like sling the ball from his left side of his body, but you can tell he works on it so much that's like muscle memory takes over and you don't want to like tweak that. I'd like him to dial down some of like the crazy step backs when he is like defended, which he tends to do when he does go left and he can be a little lazy defensively. He doesn't really pass, whatever. But Yes, the scoring stuff, you, you can't knock on that. And uh, I've been surprised that it's turned on as quickly and, and stayed on for him. And by the way, Trendon Watford so far has also been pretty good. Uh, he hasn't been good in the ways that he needs to, uh, to particularly showcase his NBA fit. Uh, he's still not really a great shooter, unfortunately. But some of the turnover issues have really slowed down. Uh and he's been an efficient scorer on the interior as well as a good free throw shooter uh, this season for LSU. I'll be interested to see how that continues to bear itself out over the course of the season for LSU because uh, him and Darius Days is a very, very strong front court uh, that could lead. Like, I think they could go like legit far in the NCAA tournament right now is where I'm at. I'd like to see a few more SEC games before I kind of go down that route i think but they that the pieces are there you, you got to put it all together and actually play against high major guys and they did it against a&m so i don't know who's next i, I know they play florida saturday at two o'clock that'll be a good one i don't know if they play in the meantime i doubt it yeah that that is their next game is florida okay yeah um, that's good good matchup you'll probably right. have a lot of scotty lewis on cam thomas who's a great defender so that'll be a, a good show and prove okay i stole cam thomas from you so you give me your yeah. next guy Wait, am I giving you the next guy to talk about or for you to steal? Is this like you're to talk about? Turn with a no, I'm not. Okay, okay. I, I would never. With Justin Powell. Okay, go ahead. Give me some Justin Powell yeah. thoughts. Well, when I first started researching like the behind the scenes story and found out that his teammates call him the Vanilla Killer, I said like, "This is my guy. I got to look into him." So with Sharif Cooper kind of ineligible, like I don't think he's going to play this season, and the school announced a postseason ban. He's quietly like carved himself out as the guy, while also kind of becoming like. What you said, this hot prospect, I don't want to say flavor of the week because he's very good, but he's like the hot name of like, maybe he's a guy we didn't know about. And he had this unconventional route where he's from Kentucky. He started playing high school there. He transferred to Mount Verde Academy and then he transferred home. He transferred home December of his junior year. He didn't have eligibility until the following season, played one session at UIBL. He got hurt, had hernia surgery in January. So it's just like, 
my point is like he was under the radar. So he's a 6'5", 180 pound junior. He grew. Now he's like 6'6". Auburn coach Bruce Pearl described him as a player. If he can see it, he can make it. He could make it from Kentucky with the baskets in Auburn. I know Bruce Pearl's one for hyperbole, but he can shoot the ball well. 14 points a game, 6 rebounds, 4.5 assists, shooting 49, 51, and 76 from the field three and free throw line. He has tapered off a little bit the last few games. I think he played Troy and Appalachian State, both single digits, but back-to-back 26-point games against South Alabama and Memphis. Shoots the ball really well. He moves well away from the ball. Can step in for mid-range, just run off the line. I definitely see more of a combo. I don't know if you see as like a, a big point guard, and he's just kind of been thrust into this role where he has to be a little bit of a creator and facilitator with Sharif Cooper out. But yeah, I, I think not he's somebody in, that I really had on the radar as, as a guy for this year. But good to watch. Yeah, I think he's an off-ball player uh, yeah, who can yeah. make high-level passing reads. Not really like a point guard, which is totally fine. Um, that that's not a bad thing necessarily. Uh, do we think that Justin Powell could make three pointers from that parking lot where Bruce Pearl <laughs> held his is. Yeah. post-draft interview so. for yeah, Ice Kokoro? Yeah, exactly. A yeah, good bit. Yeah. I hope that's where the tent's set up for the pre-draft stuff. <laughs> He's working out there and he can have his WWE promos. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad that you brought up Justin Powell because Justin Powell is a very, very interesting one to me um not a guy that i had seen at all coming into this year like had you even no, seen fr- him frankly I, no i, I didn't and either yeah not even gonna lie and say yeah i knew him play like again he was just kind of off the beaten path a little bit got it slipped through the cracks played in a few tournaments auburn did a great job scouting and and finding him and of course some kentucky fans have been like how do we let him get away well he's ranked you know, 300th in the class. Like, you guys would have killed Coach Calipari if you brought him in with five of the five stars. Yeah, and, like, he won't even play Dante Allen, who was, like, Mr. Kentucky, wasn't he? Yeah, sounds right, yeah. Um, I don't know that this guy's been a standout necessarily, but I do want to talk about, like, the Isaiah Jackson thing. Um, okay. I, I don't know what to do with Isaiah Jackson because the flash plays are absolutely astounding. And the, like, consistent defensive breakdowns are pretty frustrating. And given that he's going to derive, like, 90% of his value on defense, that is a real issue. Uh, there are people that have him as, like, a lottery guy right now. And I totally get that based off of the physical tools and based off of that this is just an absolute mess of a lottery. Right? Right. Uh, I don't know, man. I'm just like... I don't know what to do with him. Like I'd have him somewhere probably around like 20th to 25th right now, I guess. But he is, he's a very difficult evaluation because so much of it is based on can this guy figure his shit out, uh, in terms of where he needs to be positionally consistently. Right. And, and some of that you can see right away with the foul. So played 60. It's hard to keep on the floor. Like Notre Dame played 16 minutes, had three fouls. North Carolina, 15 minutes, five fouls. Louisville, 21 minutes, five fouls. Like, you need that guy on the floor as a difference maker defensively, but if he's going to bite for shot fakes or, or try to block the rim when he has three, four fouls, like, there's not much you can really do. And, like, the offense isn't going to be there. Like, his best offense right now, honestly, is, like, putbacks, broken plays. It's, like, his best offense is when he misses his first post move and he can like yep. freestyle, go rebound it, one dribble and dunk and like not think about it. Like that's where he's best offensively. And again, not a knock, but just like that's the kind of thing we're talking about for a top 20 pick. Like 
Maybe. I don't know. How would you rank the Kentucky prospects right now? I think I would go probably Boston Jackson Clark. Yeah, hate to say it, but that's where I'm at. I think that that's where I'm, I'm, I'm at. just I'm just I'm 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 surprised, I guess. Yeah, and by the way, like I don't know that I've had I would have any of them in the top 20 right now. Um it yeah, would be like very close. I I didn't think Jackson would be there. I thought we'd be kind of like splitting hairs about Terrence Clark and BJ Boston. Uh but it's yeah, they got they got to show and prove now. I mean, there's you read off the schedule. There, there's lighter games. I mean, still it's the SEC. There's no nights off, but right. the uh, the numbers don't lie, as people would say. And I mean, Terrence Clark was scoreless last game, and I don't know if he's really hurt. And BJ Boston hasn't shot threes, and Isaiah Jackson's fouled out of the last two games. Right. Yeah, it's it's tough right now. Uh, give me a give me another name. Uh, do you want to go from your article? Like, do you want to go Delano Banton? I've, uh, yeah, go for it. We can talk about Delano Banton. Yeah. So transfer from Western Kentucky, played with Charles Bassey, transfer sits out. Uh, he only averaged 3.4 points per game there, but just as big six, nine guard, he's a leader, does a little bit of everything. 14 points per game, seven rebounds, five assists, plays very paced. His free throw percentage is up 20% since his time at Western Kentucky, even though his, his shot from three is only at 34%. But he, like, if you watch full games, like, he's everywhere. Like, he takes the jump ball yeah. and gets the ball back to play point guard. He had a triple double this year, granted, against an NAIA team <laughs> that he had to throw on the schedule. But he has great size, pass over the top of the defense. He pushes ahead, wants to play in transition. He's a very smart player. He'll let the play develop. He'll ball fake, patience on letting the roll man get to his spot. Long strides to cover ground. The shot is kind of like a set shot that takes time to get off, uh, which I'll have to work on. Can use him in the post. I don't know what to make of him. It, it's a it's a great watch. I just don't necessarily know what it looks like in the NBA. I know people are valuing him kind of like in the forties ish range right now. I don't know if you go back to school, but it's a uh, an interesting case study to see how his game would fit in the modern NBA. So, yeah. I don't really buy the shot and I don't really buy him defensively right now. Like I think he's actually just Two big pieces. Yeah. A pretty bad defender, to be honest. Uh, doesn't have great lateral quickness. Doesn't kind of stand in his defensive stance well enough, but it's really hard to. Yeah. Yeah. It's really hard to find guys that are six foot eight who can handle the ball, who can make. He is one of the absolute best cross corner kickout passers in college basketball right now at six foot eight. Like that is oh, yeah. a rare off the skill. dribble too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you run him in pick and roll, he hits the cross corner kick out like it's nothing. Um, fascinating prospect. I don't know what to do with him yet. I really the, don't. The defensive thing I agree with too because like he averages almost two steals a game and a block game, which is more so I would argue his length and his instincts as opposed to quickness, which is good. And he'll block shots shots out on the perimeter. But yeah, I don't I don't know laterally if he's able to kind of move his feet for. For bigger athletic, I'm guessing he'd have to play. I don't see him as a point guard in the NBA, right? Like two, three, somewhere in that range. Yeah, and if he's going to do that, he's going to have to shoot. So, right. I, I don't know. It's a weird, it's a weird, weird skill. Uh, weird, weird skill set to try and figure out. Uh, how much Syracuse have you watched? Syracuse, not much. Were you a Kadari Richmond guy coming in high Academy. school? Yeah, I saw him plenty in high school. 
Yeah. What did you think of him in high school? Because I really, really like him. So I thought he was a high level guy. I didn't know if right or what he, I think he committed like without even necessarily being a campus. So it was like one of those things. I didn't know if necessarily he was going to step in right away and make an impact and be one of the better prospects on that team at Syracuse. But I mean, there was a role for him to, to do that and gain minutes. So it's, it's been a little bit eye opening, but I never count out guys that go to Brewster Academy because they always end up translating at the highest levels. Yeah. And how old is he? Ooh, I don't know that. Is he like normal age or is he, I'm, I'm assuming he was a prep school kid, right? <laughs> I, yeah. I, well, they're weird, not weird because you can repeat and do one year. So I'm not sure exactly right. how old he is. Um, really good defender. Uh, not sure he can shoot yet, but knows how to play like he doesn't look like an asshole out there um can make the right passing reads pretty regularly he gets sped up a little bit like you typically see freshmen but he's six foot five he can handle the ball he gets into passing lanes like crazy he blocks shots for wing like insane numbers of them uh really good i'm i don't think he's a 2021 guy but i really like him yeah it says here's 19 born 2001 so i think that's true to age right 19 as a freshman yeah. Uh, give me your last player. My last one. Oof. Let me see here. Have you watched – we talked Kessler Edwards. We talked Jason Preston. Have you watched VCU at all? I have not, no. Well, no, I did. I watched them play Old Dominion because I bet on VCU in that game. So, yeah. <laughs> so, because of betting, I have watched. So, have you seen Deshaun Highland at all? Bones, I, I am. Bones uh, Island. I uh, am intrigued. He's very skinny, like very, very, yeah, very six, skinny. Six three plus wingspan, very skinny frame, averaging nineteen points per game, forty four percent from the field, forty from three, ninety percent free throw shooter. Kind of had like a uh, a rep as a street ball player in Delaware, but is is much more than that. Just I like to say like a slippery scorer, knows how to use body to create space, twists around the rim. Can take some tough shots. He pulls up from three in transition. He'll do that Tatum sidestep three that drives me crazy. Uh, not the best passer anyway, but he already has two 30-point games a season. Can struggle a little bit with size and physicality, but just someone to mention as I didn't think it would happen this quickly. Very skinny, but yes. like I mean, you said. I mean, bones. I mean, what, what are you doing here? Like you said, though, like I actually think he is a real NBA prospect as a scorer. I remember uh, – I think I was having a conversation with one of their assistants at one point and he mentioned him as like, look, I don't necessarily even think he's a uh, 2021 guy maybe, but he's going to be an NBA player at some point because his scoring ability, like it's almost like a Jamal Crawfordy skill set. Like he just has that. It's craftiness. so funny you say that because when I was watching him and he played on our circuit, he played for we are one on the Under Armour circuit. When I was watching film this year, that's the first thing I thought of. And I was like, I don't want to say this because, like, Jamal Crawford has a reputation as, like, the best ball handler for over a decade. And, like, I'm not going to say that and get killed for it. But there is some Jamal Crawford light to the way he plays and uses length. All right, Penny. We're going to call it there. Tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on in your life. (sighs) What's going on in my life? The new year, 2020, is going to be behind us. I'm on Twitter at Matt underscore Penny. Can I end it with the 2020 wrap-up Bob Huggins quote? Yes, please. Uh, only, Only the best here. Okay, only the best. 
So I forgot I had this. This is my Facebook profile from my college. So West Virginia <laughs> coach Bob Bob Huggins is fond of telling a story about his hometown of Midvale, Ohio, which features 500 people, two stoplights, and nine bars. As a young man, Huggins once got into a truck with a man from his hometown, noticed the vehicle had no rear-view mirror, and asked him about it. I don't back up, the man told Huggins. We're going forward, son. So we're going forward. 2020 stinks. We're going to crush 2021. Tie in some college basketball. Let's do it. And I'm excited to get a look at these prospects as we finally get some conference play. We finally get some real prospect matchups that will give us a chance to evaluate them in a real way. Because as you can see, based off of this podcast, it's not, it's not easy sledding right now. We're still trying to figure a few things out here. Uh, but until next time, we will talk soon. Bye.